Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, David, and as always, I have Mr. Ian Rice on the other line. I don't know about you, Ian, but I am ready for 2021. Yeah, looks like 2021 is going to bring some better things. Well, you know, the the Spanish flu in 18 led to the roaring 20s. That's true. And and how odd is it we're going into the 20s now? I saw a thing on uh, one of the social media platforms, and it said, if you think 2020 is bad, imagine what happens when it turns 21 and it starts drinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My favorite meme that I've seen yet is it's was 2021 is kind of like getting a Yoko Ono album with bonus tracks. <laughs> and then I, then I saw one. It was somebody had in New York City. One way to keep everybody inside is put a microphone in a, in a loudspeaker with Yoko Ono on the street and let her sing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I thought that was uh, I thought that was great. All right, everybody, we got a, a cool guest for us uh, this week, uh, a man by the name of Jared Delaney. I interacted with him several times on Twitter, and I believe he's actually gotten a prize from us uh, in the past. And he was on the uh, Tedeschi Trucks podcast and uh, did a really good job on there, and, and that's a really good podcast. Adam does a great job, and we're going to have him on in the future, by the way. But, uh, yeah, J- so Jared uh, posted on Twitter something. He, he had been on the TTV podcast, and now uh, he'd like to come on stage from Orca. So I just hit him up and said, come on in. And so uh, we're going to have him on. So, Ian, you know, we needed to class the class the podcast up a little bit. So we got our first ever actor and playwright. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Jared Delaney. Thank you so much. I am so thrilled to be here. It's a, I'm really excited. Thank you. So – Actor and playwright, and you live in Philly, which is which is unique. Usually, you think Chicago, L.A., or New York for the job. Yeah, that's true. You do. It turns out that most—I shouldn't say most—but a lot of big cities in the U.S. have what they call a regional theater scene, professional theater scene, right? And uh, when I finished grad school here in Philadelphia, right outside of Philly, I went to Villanova, go Cats. There, there was a lot of work here. There was a lot of professional theater happening here. So I started booking jobs as an actor out of grad school. And then I just didn't have to go anywhere because I was, I was working fairly consistently for a while. And uh, Philly, for that kind of work, it's, it's, it's a nice place to be because one, you can afford it. You can afford to live here. But two, you know, if I had a gig, for example, in New York City, which I've had, it's only a couple hours away. I've had gigs in D.C. That's only a couple hours away. I've had gigs in Boston. That's only an hour flight or an hour and a half flight or in change. You know, you can sort of get up and down the East Coast to uh, all the sort of major theater hubs without without too much trouble. So that's how I sort of ended up. That's the short version of how I ended up staying here. Well, I got to think being a playwright has a lot in common with being a uh, songwriter. You have a basically a blank sheet of paper, and you've got to do something with it. That's correct. Yeah, it's kind. Of, yeah, there is a similarity to that for sure. I started writing. My undergrad degree was in writing. I worked in journalism for a little while, and back then, my my dream was to write for Rolling Stone. I wanted to, you know, write, be David Freck or David Brown, one of those guys. But then fell back into acting, and then uh, came back to writing, probably around. 2010 ish and then um i've been pursuing that a little bit more more intently um i went back to school got another degree uh in creative writing and um i've had a few plays produced which is really exciting and you know right now of course there's no theater or really any acting gigs anywhere unless you're on some big movie set where they can really lock everything down so a lot of people in my industry are you know, they're hurting. They're on unemployment. They're, they picked up weird little side gigs to sort of make make ends meet. Uh, and I'm you know, I'm not any different. Hopefully, you know, we'll come out, come out of this and people will want to go back to the theater, you know, being in a dark room crowded in with people. I hope they'll they'll be OK with that. So we'll see. It's funny. You know, uh, you see a lot of um, social media posts and things and people rallying for live music but i don't see as much for live theater and that's it's an industry that's hurting just as much i mean take new york city for example which is not 
you know, it's my neck of the woods. I mean, you know, Broadway and and even off Broadway in the city that accounts for a lot of tourist revenue and things. And and those people have been sitting idle now for this whole time. I, I, my heart goes out to anybody that's that's in that field. I don't know when yeah. it's going to be able to come back. I don't I don't know either, and, and it's really true. And I think that to your point, I think most people. Uh, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think probably most people, when they think of theater, they think of Broadway. Mm. They don't think all the stuff that's in their town, you know, from 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 gigs that pay, paying gigs, you know, regional theater gigs to community theaters. All that stuff has been shut down. And and those kinds of arts organizations do a lot to help a community, to help a city, to help a town sort of define itself culturally. And you're right. Like we're all rally, rallying around live music. I've certainly been doing that. Uh, I've, you know, I've been contributing money to those to save our stages and stuff like that. But there really isn't as much for theater. That that's certainly not that I've seen. I know Broadway had like a big benefit that was on TV, and you know, but that's Broadway. And 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 the the truth of the matter is, of like, I don't know what the the total percentage of actors. There's probably ten percent that work on Broadway. That that percentage is probably way too high in fact it's probably less than that you know so i i don't know what's going to happen to the arts in general you know whether it's music or theater or dance you know or whatever it might be this this time has been a real challenge for for the entire arts industry there's a push right now i don't know if either of you guys have seen this and i don't know that it's getting any traction but there's been a push by some people to establish a department a federal department of arts and culture I haven't heard one word that anybody in Washington, D.C. is taking that seriously. But um, a lot of other countries have departments of culture, ministries of culture, things like that. And I do think it's something we should have. It would protect music. It would protect theater, dance, arts, you know, writing of various kinds, fine artists, all that stuff. Uh, podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Protect all. I think that's something that should be considered. I, who knows if that will ever happen, but there is some push for it. I think one of the things that would come out of that, though, if, if that was, in fact, created was I think artists would be taken care of with uh, streaming a little more. Absolutely. And, and streaming is such a it's such an unfair system, obviously, as we know. I mean, I personally I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I actually don't stream. I don't do it. I don't use Spotify and I don't use Apple Music. And I know lots of people who do. And I don't you know, I get the convenience of it. But I, I still even digitally, I buy the record, I buy the song, I buy the album rather than stream it. I just think it's the more fair thing to do. I mean, I I stream, I use Spotify because, I mean, we, our episodes are released and they are released. One of the platforms is Spotify and there's a lot of streaming sure. things. But, uh, yeah, I use Spotify primarily as a means to, like, preview an album. And then if I like it, I will go buy it. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just, we just don't value music anymore because you know i mean even like big bands some of them just release eps they're like why go in the studio and do a whole album or one song at a time and like you click on it and if it doesn't that hits you in like 10 seconds you know oh well i don't like that song whereas like in the past i mean we're all kind of think around the same age you grow up you go spend anywhere from 15 to 20 dollars on the cd and when you're in you know junior high and high school that's a lot of money hmm. and oh my God. You know, you've made an investment <laughs> You know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to make yourself like it. And I'm one of these people that a lot of times, with an album comes out, if I don't love it at first, it grows on me. And ones that I that come out on the first day and I think are amazing, sometimes I wind up not listening to them much anymore. It's really weird. I I have a greater appreciation for those that you have to Radioheads like that. Like, yeah, you, you you're not gonna listen to a Radiohead album the first time and go, oh, this is awesome. You got to work on it a little bit. Yeah, right? it, yeah, and the crows though are a little bit of a different animal though. I usually like most of their albums when they come out and, and continue to like them, and then some of them like War Paint have grown on me a little bit more. I know you're an anti-War Painter and, and an anti Before the Froster. I know. I just I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of double albums. There's very few double albums that I like, and and so Before the Frost, I think if they we talked about it on that podcast. If you whittled it down to one album, it'd be a lot better, in my opinion. But I mean, like I like Physical Graffiti. That's a great double album, you know, and a few others. But a lot of times, just a lot of filler on there. That's true. I mean, that certainly happens a lot. Uh, they're just, you know, they got a lot of ideas and they just throw them all out there because they can. I have a special affection for for Before the Frost. 
and I think primary. I think I mentioned this to you guys when we were going back and forth on Twitter that I I was at one of the first. I was at the first before the Frost show at the Von Helms uh, barn. So uh, I felt a real connection to that record because I got to be there for some of it. You know, I think that I, I'm I'm pretty sure, for example, that the the version of Good Morning Captain that's on the record is the one that I saw. I'm pretty sure it's that one. So set the scene for us. Like, what's the parking lot like? Because I've, I've seen the videos of people kind of tailgating in the parking yeah. lot. and Just kind of set the scene of that day for us, because I'm, I'm fascinated by that whole experience. Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a real thrill. I can tell you that. So it started for me because that summer, the Crows played three shows here in Philly right before the 4th of July. They played the, second, they played the first, second, third at a little theater here called the Theater of the Living Arts, the TLA. And it's a, it's a venue that holds a thousand people maybe if you really squeeze them in there so i saw those i was at all three of those shows they were great and i started a conversation with a guy there who this is terrible i can't remember his name now it was a long time ago but he and i struck up a conversation he was a big crows fan and he and i kept in touch for a little while and so when the before the frost sessions were announced and i tried to get tickets and i couldn't because they were so they, you know they were gone so fast and they can only hold 200 people Per show at those sessions, this guy, I can't, can't believe I, I'm so sorry if you're listening. I'm so sorry. I can't remember your name. <clears throat> he called me up. He's like, hey, I got an extra ticket for the first night. Do you want to go? And I said, yeah, I want. Yeah, absolutely. So I got myself up there to, to Woodstock, to Levon's place. It was the middle of winter. Cabin Fever was the show title. And it was. There was a big long line to get inside, and there was snow everywhere. And um, Levon wasn't home at the time. And I remember myself, I was really disappointed that I thought maybe Levon would sort of wander in or something. But Levon was not there. But we stood outside this big barn, and we we were only outside for maybe an hour. And then they they brought us all in. Levon's dogs were running around. Uh, he had these two dogs. They were just sort of had the run of the place. They they were running all over. And when you went inside, everywhere you looked, there were these, uh, like, you know, computer-printed signs all over the place that said, hey, everybody, you know, we're so glad you're here. Please remember, this is Levon's house. And uh, me and this guy I was with, we, we got in there, and we went up. We decided that because it was so tight, it was tight in there, that it would make more sense to get up. They had that balcony level, which you can see in some of the videos, right? So we thought that we would have a better view of the whole band and watch everybody, you know, seeing everybody playing and sort of working together if we got up to the top. So we managed to get ourselves up there and we were leaning right over the right over the, the railing um, in this in this barn studio at Levon's house. And the atmosphere was everybody was really excited. Everybody was really chatting and talking and being excited about being there and, you know, hearing these new songs that none of us had heard before was really exciting. And I'm I'm particularly I'm a fan of that era. I mean, I like War Paint and I like Before the Frost. I really love Luther Dickinson as a player. I'm, I'm a fan of the North Mississippi All Stars. I'm sure you guys are too. So I was really excited to see him uh, play. And it was just it was just great. I mean, it was just great. Like they they came out and uh, they said, you know, hey everybody, you know, it was Chris. Chris is like, thanks for being here. We're really excited to have you here. This is what we're doing. This is an experiment. You know, we might have to do multiple takes of the same song. You know, we just hope everybody can be patient with us. Try not to clap or cheer during the song, which you can hear him say, I think, on one of the videos. And it was really kind of a magical experience to sit there and hear brand at that time, brand new Crows tracks that you had no idea what they were. And everybody around us like buzzing and speculating about it. And they played, I guess it was probably... It must have been about two and a half hours. Maybe it was three. And they took a break midway through. And we, you could, you could walk out. You could go back downstairs and you could walk outside. And there was an outdoor deck that was on sort of like a second level. So people were up there congregating. They were smoking. They were taking a breather or whatever. So I went up there to get a little air. And Adam McDougal and Luther were just hanging there. And uh, so I, I was like, guys, this sounds great. And, and what I remember is Luther Dickinson saying to me in utter earnestness, being like, 
do you, is it really, do you really think it's okay? Does it sound, it sounds all right. I'm like, yeah, man, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds really good. And, and he and Adam were, were super gracious, which was really, which was really cool. So it was a really magical experience. And of, and of the, you know, the 50 plus times I've seen the crows and various crows side projects. That's absolutely one of my favorite experiences for sure. It was great. It was great being there. I always ask this of, of someone that's been at at those sessions because unfortunately I, I didn't have the opportunity. How close to what is released on the record was what you saw? Like, do you think did it seem like they did much work afterwards? You know, uh, overdubs and things like that. Not, not in my opinion. It didn't seem like much to me. It, as I said, I'm pretty sure that that Good Morning Captain on the record is the one that I heard. Nice. I mean, without without any overdubs at all. I mean. I think the band, I don't know, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like the band maybe doesn't get enough credit for being as tight as they are, mm-hmm. you know, and how they, and they must have been very, very well rehearsed before willing to do this in front of a live audience, right? And so the night I was there, they only redid one track. And I think it was, um, if I remember right, I might not, my memory might be wrong about this, but I think it was, um, Houston, don't dream about me. That that track, I think it was that one that they stopped and they're like, oh, we need to start that again. But everything else, they just sort of they just sort of cut through it. And and you know, Paul Stacey was running around and adjusting microphones and you know things like that. But the atmosphere was great. Chris was in it was in a re, was in really fine form. He was you know he was really ex- excited about it and and was being very warm and welcoming and. Uh, it was great. They played. They played uh, "Aimless Peacock" that that night, and I I like that track. I like sort of drifting along with it, and it was cool to see Rich play that sitar and you know all that stuff. It was it was a really great experience. It was awesome, and I got to talk to Luther and Adam, which was cool. Did they at any point during the show, like maybe at the end, play any old Crows tunes? They did not. No, they did not. They didn't do. They didn't do an encore. Like that, there wasn't like, hey, now we're going to play Jealous again or whatever. They didn't do that. They only played their new material. The 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 night I was there, again, if my memory serves me well, um, I think the encore was, they played Dolphins. Oh. They played Dolphins. <laughs> David, stop it. It's a good tune. I know, David. <laughs> but I like it. And, and Chris, you know, Chris likes all those folkies. He likes those guys. He likes those singer-songwriter dudes that no one ever really listens to. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was sort of the that was sort of the big finale, I think, if I remember right. So people talk about that being, you know, Levon Helms kind of compound. Was is the the barn like attached to the house? Yeah. Now again, I didn't do it, but I think some people did. You could you could walk into his house from from the recording studio, and you know when you look at the the before the the cabin fever video, you can see the guys sort of they're walking in and out of there. That was the space that I, I could see. I didn't. I didn't do it myself, but you could. That's yeah. You could go right into to Levon's house, which is still you know, they still operate it. Um, I don't know if Amy Helm lives there or lives near there, but I know they still do shows at the barn and stuff. You know, the midnight ramble sessions and all that stuff. And it's a beautiful place. Woodstock is a gorgeous little town. I mean, Ian, you must be familiar with it, right? Yeah, I've been there once or twice. You know, enough to make a day trip out of it, that kind of thing. And, yeah. of course, you always want to go find uh, Big Pink and take a look at that. Oh, you know? <laughs> go find it and move how far in. Is, yeah. How far is Woodstock from, like, Manhattan? Is it, like, two and a half, maybe three hours? Is that too far? Uh, it's probably, yeah, in the neighborhood of, like, two, two and a half. So, for me, yeah. it ends up being, like, three and a half, four from where I'm coming from. Can you go see the area where, like, the Woodstock Festival took place? That's in, like, Socrates, isn't it? Right, oh, yeah. that's farther up the road than from Woodstock, if I remember rightly. But quite a ways up the road. Yeah, and it's just—it's a very unassuming little town, you know. That, yeah. Uh, and it, it was, you know, it, it, I I believe they they kind of mark it like historical markers and things, but there's not like you know big flashing arrows like this is the farm, you know. <laughs> Great book about Woodstock, about the town, and it. Um, oh God, I'm terrible this morning. I can't remember the guy's name, but he wrote. He also wrote a book about the band called Across the, D- the Great Divide. Mm. What is that awesome name? But he wrote a book about the town of Woodstock and how it became this confluence for all all the, you know, the, obviously Dylan and the band. But like Hendrix was there for a while and, and Van Morrison was up there for a while. And all of these people who were sort of coming in and out of Woodstock at that time and the energy and the vibrancy of that music scene and how 
some of the locals were really cool with it. Some of them weren't really cool with it. And, and that was what turned that community into sort of the arts haven that it is known for today. It's really weird how stuff like that can happen. Like, uh, the, like Muscle Shows Alabama, you know, became this haven for soul and R&B music. And it's just, it's like not, it's not near anything. It's this little town in North, you know, Northwest Alabama. Right, right. You know? and, 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 you know, you ha- and you have Woodstock and then, it's just interesting to me how like all it takes is one kind of event and then it changes the course of that area for decades. Yeah. It happened with Woodstock. It happened with Athens, Georgia, you know, yeah. happened, you know, Minneapolis is a bigger city, but it happened in Minneapolis happened in Seattle, all these places that you don't think of as, as going to be the homes of some kind of musical movement, but there they are. Boom. You know, it's pretty wild in that way. So you said you're a fan of the, uh, the Luther era yeah. Is is the Ford area your favorite? Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, it's tough because I love them both for different reasons. Mark Ford is Mark Ford, right? I mean, he, he brought something to them that they never had again. But on the other hand, when Luther was on board, Luther brought them something that they hadn't had. You know, L- Luther's tone and his style and he, you know he's a finger picker like Derek Trucks is in that way. You know he he had a he, he had a lyricism to the way he played that Mark doesn't have, which isn't to say that Mark isn't a lyrical player. But I think Mark has a lot of there's a little there's a little more grit in what maybe what Mark does as opposed to what Luther does. And so I feel like some of those Luther songs maybe float a little bit higher and. Mark's songs maybe sort of simmer down in the in the mud in a good way a little bit more if that makes sense. So I like them both. For me, it's always really about the strength of the songwriting. You know, if the songs are solid, then uh, I don't want to say it doesn't matter who plays, but it kind of doesn't matter who plays in a little bit. I uh, I agree. That's a, that's exactly the way I feel about the two different. Because to, to me, the two the two main eras of the band are. The Mark Ford era and the Luther Dickinson era, because other players kind of were there for the short term. Yeah. But people always say, you know, it's hard to it's hard to hear other play, people play the Mark Ford era songs, and that's not right. quite the same. I feel exactly the same about the Luther Dickinson songs. I think his stuff that he contributes there, other players would be hard pressed to duplicate it the same way, and it fits the song perfectly. I, I completely agree. I, when I saw when I saw the 2013 tour when they had Jackie Green, right mm-hmm. now I I like Jackie Green and I think Jackie Green is a, a really good player, but he's not Luther Dickinson and he's also not Mark Ford. I don't think he's as 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 uh, I think I think I think Jackie, with all respect to him, I think he's a better songwriter than he is a guitar player, and I think he's a good guitar player, but he's not a virtuoso the way that Luther or Mark are. So I felt that the tour, although I enjoyed it, of course I enjoyed it, there was always something a little bit... Like, I think Rich is a better player than Jackie Green, so I didn't understand why maybe Rich wasn't playing the lead parts and Jackie was playing the rhythm parts. I I didn't understand that, but, you know, what do I know? It's actually the uh, the 2013 tour that made me kind of have that revelation about Luther's playing, because I would hear these songs and I'd be like, man, that thing that Luther did really was so key to this song, you know? So Yeah. Because Jackie would often leave out a lot of those things. Yeah, because he has, you know, different players of different styles, and, and Luther's tone has that, like, in my in my ear, it sounds like it's rounded. Mm. It sounds cylindrical, if that makes sense. That's what I hear in my head, or that's what I see in my head. And Jackie's tone is a little more angular, and so it's it just it just sounded different. It wasn't bad. It just sounded different. You know, I felt the same way when I saw As the Crow Flies, and I, it was. It was Marcus King, who is an amazing player. Marcus King is amazing and oddly free. And, you know, at least oddly, you could say, well, he was in the band and, you know, whatever. It just didn't sound the same. Right. You know, it was still, I still enjoyed that show. I saw the second show of that tour when they, so it was still a little rocky. They were still trying to figure, figure out some things. It sounded good, but the, the tones weren't the same. I hesitate. I hesitate to say that they weren't right, but it just didn't sound the same. If that makes sense. And I think Marcus King is as good of a guitar player as anybody, but it just wasn't the same. He's publicly said how hard that was. Yeah. To play Rich's parts. I mean, he said, you know, you listen to it and you go, oh, I can play that, and then you get in there and you go, uh oh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think I, I think Rich doesn't get enough credit for being the guitar player he is. 
I think he's really good. And he, he uses interesting tunings and the intricacy of, of some of the, of those, the structures of some of those songs, they're, they're not, they're not as simple as they sound, I think. And he doesn't get enough credit for being a really good player, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's an excellent rhythm player and his use of open tunings is, I mean, he really took that ball and ran with it. He does a lot of things with open tunings I've never heard other players do. That's right. He does. And I think he's an outstanding lead player. I mean, when I saw, when I saw Rich, when everyone was sort of split up, I saw Rich solo a few times. He, he ripped it up. He tore it up as a lead player. Like, just destroyed it. Yeah. Just destroyed it. And he was great. And I don't think he gets enough credit for how gifted a player he is because he's always next to Mark Ford or Luther Dickinson or Derek Trucks or whoever, you know, he's next to these guys who are, that's what they're for. They're there to sort of rip it all up. And, 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 and Rich, I, I think shows a, an interesting level of humility in that. Like he's, he sits back from, and he's like, no, I'll let these guys do it. I don't, I don't need to do it because I wrote the damn thing. So, <laughs> well, he always struck me as kind of like, much like Derek Trucks is in the Tedeschi Trucks band, he's kind of like the director of everything. Like you got all these people on stage, but he's really kind of yeah. making sure everything kind of yeah, comes he's together. The he's the band leader. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was, I much like you guys, I had tickets for the shows, you know, they're supposed to be this past summer. I was really curious to hear, you know, the dude from Earthless, uh, see how he sounded. Um, I, I, again, like a totally different tone. I had never really listened to Earthless prior so I started to give them a little bit of a listen, and I was going to be curious to see how that all meshed together. And, and you know, I guess we'll see it maybe next year, hopefully. Yeah, so. I, I often wonder if, um, you know, over because of this COVID delay, um, you know, if that band will be able to retain the lineup that it has, or maybe people got to move on and do other things. You never know. Uh, yeah, I agree. I wonder about that, too. I mean, I was I was really, when they when they announced the new lineup, I particularly was excited to see that Tim LaFave was in the band. I love Tim LaFave. He's an amazing player, not only because of the Tedeschi Trucks band, but he, you know, he played on Blackstar. He played for Bowie. I mean, from what else do you need to say, in my opinion, right? So I was really excited to see him play on those tracks. But I also think Tim LaFave is, I mean, he, he's a professional musician, right? Like he takes the gigs that are available. That's why he leaves one band and goes to another band, does his own thing. He does that who's had is this improv jazz thing he does. And like, so, you know, I, I do think it's possible that maybe like, for example, Tim LaFave leaves. I mean, I don't know what their contractual obligations are, but we'll see, I guess. I just wonder if the tour is going to happen this summer. I mean, I, I just, ha I have my doubts. I saw where Dr. Fauci said, if enough people get the vaccine, he thinks maybe in September we can start, you know, filling up football stadiums. But right. I, I just think there's going to be such demand for venue space. Yep. The economy's not good, so there, a lot of people don't have any discretionary income, and so I just kind of almost wonder would it just be smart to wait and and maybe not, and, and do it in 2022, but not during the summer, do it in the winter and the spring. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I think they would be better served that way. Uh, the Crows and most live musicians in general, I think too that the Crows would be better served if they they moved into smaller venues than those big open arena shed kind of things. I, I think that you know the sales weren't great. For a lot of those shows, uh, some of them were good. The Red Rocks one, you know, they added one and stuff like that. But I think they would be better served if they moved into like one, two, three thousand seat theater spaces, generate a little goodwill, some good reviews, and then maybe they can move to an outdoor venue. And I, I know both of you were also talking about a package tour. I think they would be served well to go on a package tour, whether it was Blackberry Smoke or the North Mississippi All-Stars or the Marcus King Band or whoever it was, someone that would pair well with them. I think that would serve them well because I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are guys, so I know we have our own feelings about it that are very strong, but I think for the general public who just go see concerts during the summer, they weren't super psyched about seeing the 30th anniversary of Shake Your Money Maker. I just don't, I just don't think that they were. And I think that's a shame, but I just think that's the reality of it, which is why some of those shows weren't selling that well. Yeah. I mean, if you had, it, it would definitely be, my choice would be. The Black Crows and Blackberry Smoke. You get uh, Marcus King opening that thing up, maybe, you know. It would be a one-stop shop for me, you know. Blackberry Smoke has such a loyal, devoted following. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I went to see them on the Wheels of Soul tour, there was as many people there to see them as there were Tedeschi Trucks Band, and it was like 9,000 people there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I felt the same way when I saw that tour. I have to admit that I, I, I knew Blackberry Smoke. I wasn't overly familiar with them at the time. I knew a couple of tracks, you know, 
But when I saw them on Wheels of Soul, they knocked me out. They knocked me out. And I am now in the Blackberry Smoke camp, 100%. You know, Charlie Starr is the real deal. They're all really good. And they sound great, and they look great, and the vibe is great, and they're a blast to see live. Just a blast. Yeah, I definitely think you pair Blackberry Smoke. That's a no-brainer. Um, so it puts probably puts another 1,000 people in the seats, I think which so. is what they need. Yeah. I think so. And I think if they did that, if they if they were able to bump up that kind of energy, it would propel them moving forward with future projects, you know, maybe we'd get a new record. Maybe you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe they maybe they would bring Steve back or something. I if, if Steve would even be bothered to do that, which he may not, you know. I don't think so to be honest with you. I don't think no. he'd come back. I doubt it. I got to meet Steve this past year, which was really cool. I, I went to a Trigger Hippie show here in town. There's a little venue uh, right outside of Philly. It's called the Ardmore Music Hall. Mm. And I, I've seen um, I've seen the CRB there. I saw Mag, Magpie Salute there. Saw Trigger Hippie there. And the Trigger Hippie show was great. I, I saw Trigger Hippie probably eight or nine times, sometimes with Joan and sometimes with uh, Amber. And this was the last time they were in town with Amber. And um, after, I, after the show was over, uh, we walked out. My wife and I, and I realized that I had left my jacket inside, and I went back in to grab it, and Steve was right there, and and he talked to me for a few minutes, and he couldn't have been, I mean, you guys know he's the coolest. He's so gracious and he's so welcoming and he's so you know generous with me. Uh, I was fanboying out at him. He was really cool. And they, <laughs> Trigger Hippie kills. They put on a dynamite show. Dynamite. Their last record, the Full Circle and Then Some, I still yeah. say it was one of the best records of that year. I still listen to it. I think it's great. Yeah. I do too. I really like it. I like it a lot. I think it's really they're really good strong songwriters in that in that band. Yeah. They write really solid material. Yeah, I think so. When Amber is just boy, he found a diamond in the rough with her. <clears throat> Absolutely, man. When she sings, then when she when she picks up her horn and starts blowing on that, I mean, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> it was just unbelievable. It was just. She's fantastic. I, I don't know what I don't know if you guys have heard any trigger hippie plans. I haven't heard of any, but I hope they they're they're still going to be knocking around with some new records. I know when I when I saw Steve uh, and talked to him for a couple minutes, I said to him, "You guys need to be on the Wheels of Soul tour with Tedeschi Trucks," and and Steve said he was trying to make that happen. So maybe that's something that can happen in the future to get get on that tour. I mean, Tedeschi Trucks is a a very close second as to who I would pick to tour with the Black Crows, only by virtue of the fact that they have toured together once already. But yeah. when, when we had Susan on not that long ago, she had just kind of you know offhandedly mentioned that she would like to record with Chris, and I think that would yeah. be such a great collaboration if they did some kind of album together. It, it would be dynamite. Yeah. Um, their voices blend so well together. And I saw that tour, too. I saw it a couple times with Tedeschi Trucks, which I think must have been the forerunner for them to do the Wheels of Soul tours. Um and those shows were just electric. They were just electrifying. Mm. And 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 both times I saw them, they close. Well, the one time they closed with that Sly Stone medley they do, mm -hmm. which is just man, blows the roof off. And then they the second time they closed with uh, Space Captain. They all did Space Captain together, which also was just amazing. And and to see all of them up there together, and, oh, what a show! What a show that was. Across the sky, this lovely planet called And being curious, I feel close by. And now I'm caught here to lie.
So you were talking about on the um, on Adam's podcast that you were the they're probably your favorite band right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, you were saying that you know just how much they mean to you. I think they're they're a band that's carving out their own legacy. Yeah. Um, kind of like the Crows did. They're they're different from anybody else out there. Yeah, they are. I think that's right. And and I think they they have a level beyond the fact that they have this incredible level of musicianship, right? Which we, we know, and it's not just Derek, all of them across the board are extraordinarily gifted musicians on a technical level. Uh, they're really, really gifted, but they, 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 they give their performance so much. There's so much in it. There's so much energy. There's so much soul in it. And it, it just feels good to be there to see them live. And, they don't, I would say that they don't have a song that I would say is angry, right? No, definitely they, not. They have songs that are powerful, like The Storm or uh, Shame off the new record, you know, the latest record, but they're not an angry band. And they're, they're, they're happy that you're there. They're happy to be there. They're, they, it's not an obligation that they're there. You know, sometimes you see people... And you can tell that they're phoning it in or whatever. You know, I'm thinking of I saw Clapton once at the New Orleans Jazz Fest and he absolutely phoned it in. Uh, <laughs> TTB doesn't do that. Every show is 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 full out. You know, and I feel that I I know that you know internal strife may have been different. Like I felt that way about the Crows too. I had never felt like they phoned it in, and I always felt like they gave it everything that they had. And I think that is what makes TTB right now. So special. I mean, for my money, I, as I said on, on Adam's show, I do think they're the best band in America. I don't right now. I mean, you know, and those that's subjective and those things can change. Right. But I don't think there's any band that's that's working today that is more of a band than they are. No, that is they are. They are a true like band and not just a yeah. collection of musicians, you know. And, yeah. Like I saw them on that 13 tour with the black crows and i really got into them at the time and i followed them and i hadn't had any, uh, the opportunity to see them live again and this past summer they were playing this uh you know outdoor festival here which is a great festival to start with uh it's called the great south bay music festival and they were the headliners on that and of course got canceled out it was rescheduled right. for this coming summer but you know as we were just saying before i don't know if it's gonna you know happen again but uh, hopefully something yeah. happens i i, I really they they were a band that kind of re renewed my excitement for new music and and music in general. They just that they're that yeah. you're absolutely right. They don't really have angry songs. I mean, their last album signs a bit more. Some of the songs are a bit more direct, but they weren't angry. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and they they those songs. Some of those songs were a little bit darker. They were dealing with a lot of loss, right? Mm. They had a lot of personal loss, and they were trying to trying to express that. But they did it as they do everything with such soul and such grace as they do it that's what really uh connects for me you know i mean don't get me wrong i love watching derek rip out some crazy solo you know but that's not the only reason to go see that band i gotta ask you since you live in philly are you a fan of the war on drugs okay so i just had this conversation with someone uh yesterday or not yesterday a couple of days ago i'm not a fan of the war on drugs so we just had we have a great local radio station here called WXPN. They're they're a public radio station, publicly funded. They're out of the University of Pennsylvania, and they they're a music station. And they just did an awesome. It was a blast. I think I tweeted at you guys about it. They did the the 20, 2020 greatest songs of all time countdown. They ran it continuously from last Thursday to this past Wednesday, right? Twenty four hours a day, and it was people calling in. And, and writing in their votes for their 10 favorite songs, and that's how they did it. So as I was listening, War on Drugs came on. And they're, yeah, they're Philly guys. I know it. And the song that made the list was Under the Pressure, which is uh, which is okay. I think it's okay. I like that big bass saxophone that comes in, you know, towards the middle of that track. I personally feel like every War on Drugs track sort of sounds like mid-'80s Don Henley. <laughs> There's all that sort of atmospheric keyboard in the background. It sort of kind of drifts along. Like, I feel like they're remaking Boys of Summer over and over and over and over again. And I hear that they're cool dudes. I know some people who know some people who know them. You know, I just I just can't get into it. All respect to War on Drugs. 
I know people love them, and they love oh, that record. Dagger into the heart, Jared. Dagger into the heart. <laughs> Do they sing about uh, deadhead stickers on Cadillacs? Is that what it is? Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that lyric is in every song that they do. <laughs> they are much more of a jam band than you would think. They're, they put out a live album this year called Live Drugs, and it's my album of the year. Um, oh, and, all right. My endorsement. But, but they they extend a lot of the songs. They don't do it like in a fashion like where they jam a guitar solo. It's these very long intros and outros that are very ambient that that kind of lead up to the song. I, I was just wondering since you were from from Philly, what about Kurt Vile? You like him? Yeah, Kurt Vile's okay. You know who I like the the Philly bands that I really like. I really do. You guys dig Low Cut Connie? You ever listen to Low Cut Connie? I've heard them. Yeah, I've yeah. Heard. Give them give Low Cut Connie a listen. They're they're a really straight ahead rock and roll band that that plays with a lot of grit. They're they're really fun. My, probably my favorite recent Philly band are called Beach Slang. Um, their their front man is a guy named uh, Alex James, and he is a unabashedly replacements worshiping Gen Xer. And Beach Slang is they play incredibly. Uh, romantic, and by that I mean not not the romance of, of of love, but rather sort of the larger sense of what romance means, like hopeful, dreaming, etc. He writes these incredibly romantic songs about the power of music and the power of rock and roll. Like almost exclusively, that's what his songs are about. And he's got a really raspy voice. Uh, it's not for everybody's taste, but they're. they're fantastic he writes great songs and i've seen them live a few times and the the shows are always just to just knock you out he always starts the show by by saying hi we're beach slang and we're here to punch you in the fucking heart and it's just it just it just knocks you back and you sort of just get blown back so if you guys have never listened to to beach slang i i, I would highly recommend them um they've got a couple they've got a bunch of eps out they've got two records two full albums i think and um they represent philly very very well i saw them most recently uh i saw them open up for the hold steady if you guys know the hold steady mm-hmm. um who are one of my absolute favorite bands and it was a dynamite show dynamite show well listen i'll take that under advisement i'll check them out for yeah. sure ian you want to do a uh rapid fire series with him of course we always have to do a rapid fire series david i live for it i'm ready all right, Jared. Favorite Crows album? Favorite Crows album must be Amorica. Favorite Crows guitarist? Oh God! Does Rich not count? Should I just say? Can I say Rich? Uh huh. Yeah. Then I'm going to say Rich. Favorite cover? Uh, you know what? I think it. I love. I love when they do. Oh sweet nothing. Love it. Crow song you think is better live than on record? Hmm. Moving on down the line. That's I love that. I love that intro. Yeah. It almost has a Led Zeppelin no quarter feel to it. Yeah, it does. When I those shows I mentioned to you guys earlier, those 2008 shows when I saw them three nights in a row here in Philly, one of those shows they opened with "Moving On Down the Line," Ooh. and it blew me back. It was just fantastic. And I and I find one of the things I love about Chris's lyricism, and he doesn't always do it, but when he does, he hits it right out of the park. I feel like he sings and writes about hope a lot. Mm-hmm. about looking forward, about joy, about being defiant in the face of things. And I think moving on down the line is a perfect example of that. And and live, that song is a killer. All right. Favorite non-Ford era song that sounded better with Ford on it in 0506? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say soul singing. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Soul singing. Favorite guilty pleasure crow song, you know, one you like that you know everybody else doesn't like. <laughs> if I, I guess if I was being really smarmy, I could say licking, but I don't like licking, and nobody likes licking. Oh, you know what I love? This is going to piss certain members off here. I really like Diamond Ring. Well, listen, uh, Steve Gorman to be in your corner, so don't worry. I think Diamond Ring is kind of a lovely, lovely little song, and I was at one of the only shows they played it live. Wow, that's something. Let's see. If you could alter one thing about the Black Crow's career, what would it be? <laughs> that they stop shooting themselves in the foot. That they like. I rec- if you guys haven't read this, I highly recommend reading the book Trouble Boys by Bob Meir about the replacements. Right? Mm-hmm. You never heard a band that shot themselves in the foot so much unless you're a Black Crow's fan. <laughs> and I think that the being a Black Crow's fan is like you know you 
your favorite sports team that never wins, like you, you they should be, they should have been the new Rolling Stones. They should have been that. And I know that was their aim. And I think they could have been, but they could not, could not get out of their own way. And you could argue that that's what makes those of us who are so devoted to them, devoted to them, something about the, the joy of misery or something, right? But I, I, if I could have changed something, I would have changed them shooting themselves in the foot and m- making better choices. And I'm sure I am not alone in that. I mean, Steve's book pretty much says that. One more for you. Uh, of all the, you know, quote unquote, classic live shows, the ones that everybody talks about, which one did you wish you could have been at? Here's a little random. I don't know if this one comes up very much. I wish I was at that show they played at the, um, I forget what, the, what it was called, but that big metal festival in Russia. Yes, Monsters of Rock. Really nice. Moscow, Pe- Moscow Peace Festival. Uh, Moscow Peace Festival, thank you. I wish I was at that show. To have been there with all those people who live under oppression, who are still kind of living under oppression, right? Not kind of, they are. To have them feel that freedom with a band who expresses freedom so well as the Crows do. I think that would have been pretty magical. Don't you think it would have also been interesting to see ACDC, Metallica, Pantera, and the Black Crows? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> who I mean, slipped them on that bill? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I feel like you could maybe make an argument for ACDC and the Crows. Mm-hmm. You know, ACDC is not really a metal band. They're a rock and roll band. But I don't know. Yeah, it would have been a fascinating, just like a fascinating day of seeing those bands together. Uh, it would have been pretty wild. Yeah. All right, last one. What's your favorite Black Crows podcast? Um, well, I don't want to make you guys uncomfortable, so I'm just going to decline to answer. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like uh, I'm going to take the fifth on that. That's, that's State fair of enough. America! State of America! Listen, it's fair enough, man. I don't want you to make anybody else feel bad. There's, there's one of these out there, you know what I'm saying? Listen, if I'm going to continue my streak of getting on podcasts that I want to be on, I have to be political about it. i got to be... I got to be careful. That's right. Are you going to are you going to are you going to tweet Joe Rogan next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jared, you know our guests get to pick a playout song, so what would your playout song be? Yes, and this is a thrill. My playout song, I would love to hear, and I, I leave I leave the the show to you guys. But my favorite all-time crow song is Wiser Time. I have the lyrics to it tattooed on my leg. That one means a lot to me personally. I don't know that they ever wrote a better song than that. So that would do it for me. And I, dealer's choice, which show you want to pick. All right. As long as you don't mind me pairing it with a ballot at urgency. I, there's, I don't even know how else you would do it. Exactly. I mean, that's the only way to. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jared, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Absolutely. We really enjoyed it. You're, you're becoming quite the podcast guest now. I guess I am. And I can't thank you enough for having me on. Like I said, it's such a thrill. And, you know, for a long time, I don't know if you guys ever felt this way. I, I'm I'm the only really hardcore Crows fan that I knew for a long time. Same way. To 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 connect to this larger community now is great. I have I have a good friend here now in Philly. His name is Bobby Grady. I'm gonna shout out to Bobby. Bobby and I met on Twitter talking about the Black Crows before we ever met in person. And the first time we saw each other in person was the last show we saw in person before the pandemic hit, which was the Brothers back in february so a little shout out to my buddy bobby so to to be to be in this community is just you can't beat it you can't beat it so i'm honored to be on so thanks for having me i really appreciate it anytime all right to play us out here's ballad and urgency into wiser time stay tall everybody
Oh, no.